This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, two donut holes looking for their other halves, Kate Scotchless. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. I do love donuts. I was going to say, now I want donuts. Thanks a lot, Mike. <laughs> you know what? This, this is just inspiration for you to go buy that 12-pack of donuts that I know that you all want. Um, before we get into the show this week, I do have to say that ne- starting next week, we are on break for the summer. So all throughout the month of July, we have some pre-planned minisodes that are coming out. We've got episodes about web comics, Ice Cream Man, the quarantine comic single issue. Uh, Kate and I did a story or did a discussion about Rogan Gambit because I just love it. And we've got a really cool interview that's coming. So get ready for an exciting summer break. Um, we've got some really awesome episodes coming. I'm, I'm excited for all of you to hear them. Um, so I let's, really want to listen to that one about Rogan Gambit. I'm excited. It, I'll just say that I feel really bad that Kate sat down with me to do that because Kate, I know that we had a good time talking, but I felt like I talked for 26 out of the 30-ish minutes that we talked. Uh, so <laughs> it's going to be something. I did not feel that way, so okay, okay, I think we're good, okay. okay good. good. Well, let's get into things. Let's talk about comic books. I've got a legally mandated set of questions to ask you, and that is, how have you been? And how have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate Scotchless. Um, I have been drowning in the ocean of Zoom. This past <laughs> week, uh, so Evolution is a the largest evolutionary biology conference every year. And last last summer, they just canceled it straight up. And mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. plan was to just have like basically postpone and have it in person this summer. But of course, here we are still in the pandemic. So it's online. But that means being online all day, every day for the past six days, uh, watching talks and doing workshops and stuff like that. So I am mm-hmm. uh, there. There is something that gets fried in your brain when you're on like video chat and stuff like that too long, especially when it's like you have to really think and focus to understand what people are uh, talking about. So I am kind of loopy, uh, but otherwise doing well. Comics have been amazing. I have been um, really getting the better deal in a friendship here with uh, one of my friends is a middle school and high school librarian she just got a new job that will be doing just high school but she is fantastic about telling me all of the great like middle grade and younger ya appropriate comics especially like ogns to read and i got a haul from the library recently of her recommendations and have just been blowing through them in the evenings because i cannot look at another screen after being on it all day like that yeah understandable yeah So the two I wanted to talk about um, are Be Prepared and Stargazing. And if you are a 30-something without children, you may not have heard of these. And if you are a 30-something with an eight-year-old, you probably have. Like, as far as I understand, (laughs) like, the fact that they weren't in my orbit is simply because they are, like, very targeted to the Raina Telgemeier crowd. Mm Mm-hmm. And they are both middle grade and intended for that audience of like the 10 or 11 year olds, though they'd be appropriate for younger kids. They um, but they're they're tar- targeted for middle schoolers. But both of them actually even have pull quotes from her <laughs> uh, like on the on the covers. Stargazing is by Jen Wang, who is a Chinese-American and in her. So I don't want to spoil. So it's a little. You don't want to read her story in the back, actually, and you and you don't want me to tell you kind of the twist here. So I'm going to like self self edit a little. Xander, please appreciate that. I thought of this before talking about it. Just like, (laughs) please, please praise me. Uh Okay, so I didn't spoil it for you, but the author did go through essentially the experience she's writing about in the book, which makes it much more realistic i don't want to say realistic because it's like not an experience i had so how would i even judge that but it just feels so like heartfelt and true in a in a very like open-hearted way does that make sense in in just Mm -hmm. like uh just the kind of like honest so the story is following christine who um is a chinese american girl who kind of isn't fitting in and has quite strict parents and they she meets a little girl named moon who is basically her opposite where she moon is like really confident and impulsive and artistic 
and she's like they become friends even though they have different like socioeconomic um, backgrounds and that's like part of what's explored in the book is mm -hmm. Christine kind of um, learning more about people that come that have like different experiences right like even though they're both Chinese American Moon's life is very different than Christine's because her mom has um, less money and so they become friends and Moon starts telling her about how she sometimes has these visions of like celestial beings who talk to her from the stars and reassure her that like earth isn't where she actually belongs. And it becomes this sort of mystery that then I'm not going to spoil for you. Um, but there is a, you know, crises of sorts and Christine has to decide if she's going to stand by her friend or not. And it's so good. If you like smile or any of those other Raina Telgemeier books, like this is so uh, spot on what you're looking for. And mm -hmm. it did win the Asian Pacific American Award for Literature for Children's Literature in 2020. Oh, nice. So it's not just me who's saying it's very good and a really good representation for kids in these like um, types of situations. And Definitely. I, so I just love that one. I gobbled it up in one sitting. And then the other one is Be Prepared, which, um, is in the similar vein where it's by Vera, mm, I'm going to butcher this one, Broskal. It's Russian, mm. so that's probably not how you pronounce Broskal. But um, Vera, is, the author in artist, is um, did move to the U.S. when she was five from Russia. And mm -hmm. so she is an immigrant and did like, it's a different experience than being born here, right? As like first generation. Right. So right. this one... Um, is again where she's it's fiction but she's very much writing what she knows and it is essentially she took her own experiences and sort of patched them together into a fictional narrative that's very close to true but she talk is talking about as a middle schooler she like very much doesn't feel like she fits in because her family is russian and her friends are not and her mom like runs a very russian household right like they're not like when she goes to friends sleepovers and stuff, they just have very different homes with very different foods cooked and very different expectations right. and stuff. And it also hits on that socioeconomic piece, though, in this case, the main character is the one that um, has less money and is finding that challenging with fitting in with her peers. That's like an aspect of how she feels she doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. And all these girls go off to all her classmates are going off to camp every summer but her mom can't afford it. And so she's begging to go to camp and stuff. And she finds out that there's actually a summer camp that their Russian Orthodox church will help uh, pay for. So her mom can't afford it. It's like this Russian summer camp, which is a whole thing okay. I didn't know even exists. But apparently it's like the Russian version of scouting camps. But then they were outlawed in Russia because of they were afraid they were going to like of revolt right of like you're training oh. kids to like be but they <laughs> right. still exist other places in the world as a way to help like kids connect to their russian heritage and they have a really strong like education component of like learning the language and perfecting your written and spoken russian and stuff like that and it's huh but also still like intensely like praise the motherland and stuff like it's still that scouting aspect Sure, um, so it's sure. really interesting as this is like a camp in I think it was Connecticut that she went to. So it's that these like places exist and that you did. I, who else would know? Right. So she's all excited that she's going to go to this place where she's going to like actually fit in for the first time in her life. Um, but it's totally different than she imagined. And of course, it's a bunch. She's with a bunch of middle school girls. So there's drama. And so it's about her month there at like this Russian summer camp uh, with these other Russian kids um, and trying to like navigate her own culture while like struggling to belong and like learning the value of true friendship, you know, all the usual like middle grade stuff. But it's like mm -hmm. very funny and relatable in a way that like stargazing is much more earnest and sincere where be prepared is much more just like. The art itself even is very funny. Like the the mm -hmm. way she draws characters and stuff is like really adds to the like emotional effect of like when goofy things are happening at camp, right? Like gotcha. she's feeding a chipmunk at one point and like they're like, don't feed wild animals. And she like is petting it and stuff. And it's just, anyway, 
mm-hmm. get this for the children in your life. Get it for yourself. Uh, both right. of these books, 10 out of 10 recommend. Yeah, I was going to say, like, both of these books have been on my to-read list for a little while. I mean, I read uh, IRL by Jen Wang. I think she did it with someone else. Um, and she did uh, Prince and the Dressmaker, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, I love that And I've one. been, like, absolutely in love with everything that she's yeah, done since then. I've so just been good. putting off reading Stargazing. And Be Prepared, I think, was, like, one of the most anticipated OGNs from, like, oh, yeah. I think last year. It was the so, like, Goodreads Choice yeah. Oh, no, it was nominated. It what didn't yeah, win it for nominated. graphic novel and comics in 2018. And same for like some other young reader book awards it was nominated mm-hmm. for. Um, and then some awards that I are listed that I can't read because they're in French. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, both of these were, were only novel uh, recommendations to me because I do not have any interaction with the youth. <laughs> so. I deeply appreciate Alexa being the library and finding these things for me. Yeah, I mean, those are killer picks. Yeah, how about you guys? Kate, yeah, yeah, what about you? How have you been? How have comic books been? Yeah, um, Kate is drowning in a sea of Zoom. I've been drowning in rain and fog. Um, parts of Michigan <laughs> have actually flooded this weekend, so it's very right. rainy here. Well, yeah, we didn't even hit on that. We had tornado warnings and stuff. I was in a basement with my apartment mates and all Listen. our cats. And one girl brought down her tank of snails so that they didn't get sucked up in the tornado. Uh, but guys- the basement was also flooding at the time. Oh, no. So like water was pouring in and we're all like perched on the stools and like folding tables that they have down there for us. Like it's the laundry room, right? So they have like tables mm-hmm. to do your stuff on. And we're all like all our cats and us are all perched up on everything as the water was like pouring in. Wow. Listen, I don't think that Nick would appreciate you guys stealing his Michigan weather watch update I, bit. You know. So I'm just saying, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Kate, what have you, what have you been reading though? Yeah. I read Requiem for a Rose King volume one by Io Kana. And I keep seeing this at my library and putting off reading it. I finally grabbed it. And this is a manga based off the very real events of the War of the Roses in England in the mid-1400s, except that there's also something weird, maybe supernatural, going on with Richard III's youngest child. And the description says that this is based off an early script of Shakespeare's Richard III. And I know that Shakespeare plays have supernatural elements in them, but the art in the manga makes these these elements extra like unsettling. Like I don't I don't see this and then think Shakespeare, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the the combination of the history and then also the like supernatural potentially story of this kid don't really mesh great i felt like but there are a number Mm. of volumes of this so either it's just me um or maybe the translation to english isn't the best or maybe it just gets better soon i don't know um i do want to at least read volume two because it is really intriguing what's going on with this kid so maybe the the historical aspects of it will either like get into a rhythm or or maybe i'll just start understanding them better or something Mm mm-hmm I'm just looking at the looking at the preview for this book. Everyone looks like super tired or yeah. super goth. Like yeah. what is going on? <laughs> That's accurate. Is that is that what the 1400s was like? It's just everyone's tired and gothic. Like yeah. like they didn't have much iron in their diet, okay? Like come on, Mike. Okay, this is true. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I've also read Sweet Tooth Volumes 1 through 4. There's a lot of creators in this book eventually. It's written by Joff Lemire, colors by Jose Valarubia, and letters by Carlos M. Uh, Mangual and Pat Brousseau for the first four volumes. Um, I've tried, I tried to read all of this series, all six volumes of this series before I watched the Netflix adaptation for the show, mm-hmm. but I didn't m- make it even remotely. I watched episode one and then I was done with the the show, you know, like mm-hmm. <laughs> binged mm-hmm. it. But I've been told that you only need to read volume one and two to really understand the events that, that are adapted. And that I, I have to say that it, that is true now that I've read more of the series. Mm-hmm. And this series has been a lot of my reading time. I was like, did I read anything else in the last two weeks when I sat down to write my <laughs> notes? So um, the comics are pretty dark, but they do have some really interesting world building elements, some things that haven't been touched on in, in the show yet. Um, some of those elements are kind of science fiction. Some are potentially supernatural. There, I definitely have some questions after volume four. Um, I do plan to finish reading the comics. They're all on Hoopla, as far as I know. So that should be pretty easy to do, I hope. Um, and you should check out our show, Candy Bar Antler Boy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean, 
I will say if people haven't already been listening to it in their feed, they should all you know go check it out. It's it's been a lot of fun just recording these little half hour episodes and stuff. Though the latest episode was a bit longer. You know, for folks that are listening to this on Wednesday, it came out this past Monday, and Danny and I went really deep on uh, the episode four of the show because the, a lot happens in very quick succession. Yeah, that's uh, thanks for the plug for that, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm pretty much in the same spot that you are, though, with the comic, because I went back and reread it and I just blazed through the first two like compendiums or books or whatever DC called them um, that contain like two volumes each. I think I just need to sit down and actually finish that because I do really love Sweet Tooth in the sense that the end is so satisfying. I know I've said this on the show before, but the end is so satisfying. It makes all of the hard, dark stuff that you you experience in the previous five volumes um, totally worth it. Uh, just because I, I love the way that, that book ends. Like, I feel like there's there was a problem with a lot of Vertigo books um, over a period of time back in this era of, of when Vertigo was still publishing long form comics. And a lot of them had really OK endings or the endings were super ambiguous because it's really hard to end a big series. I totally understand that. And I feel like Sweet Tooth ends in such a very final, really well thought out way that um I, I it just makes me love that series even more. How many volumes are there? I think it's just six. Okay. Um it's it's not too long. And I know that they put out a like Jeff Lemire recently did another series, like it's called Sweet Tooth the Return, which is like a reimagining of the Sweet Tooth story, which I'm like really baffled by. So I have yet to sit down and read that. But the main story is just the six volumes. I, like Kate, had never read it when the show came out and wanted to read mm-hmm. it first. But unlike Kate, have act- not actually done that yet. But the volume one <laughs> that I have from the library sitting on mm-hmm. my uh, shelf uh, is due in three days and cannot be renewed because someone's waiting. So I right. am definitely going to read that uh, real quick here. But I would I would almost say you should watch the show before you read the comic. And I know that's Wait, kind of really? like a, an ask. But yeah, because I feel like the the difference between the TV show and the comic is is pretty drastic and i feel like the comic gives you a much darker vibe than what the tv show goes with like netflix has it tagged as heartwarming and i was like are you sure you sure we're watching (laughs) the same sweet tooth uh, or talking about the same sweet tooth and it turns out like the show is actually pretty pretty charming and heartwarming in a lot of ways so i don't know just a just a just a thought maybe try an episode before you dig into the comic okay well Uh, yeah i don't this this goes against like my religion i think yeah. so i don't like <laughs> okay yeah i totally understand Bri- that brian in the chat points out that it's heartwarming in the same way a stove is hand warming <laughs> um <laughs> like, okay i mean kind of kind of uh well we'll see that's, i that's also didn't realize cents. that um it's actually volume one and two that the first season covers that uh, was news to me and thank you kate so we'll we'll see what happens with this it yeah. might just turn out that i don't read it first if I can't get to it in the next few days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for me this week, I, uh, I've i been all over the place, mostly just reading a ton of manga, like Demon Slayer particularly. And uh, I read I read a, ser- a series called Dryad. It's Curtis Wybie's book. Uh, I just want to touch on really quick. I read 10 issues of this book, and I thought that eventually the writing would get a little bit more can like put together and for 10 issues the story just seems to be chunks of scenes smashed together with really bad transitions and i was really disappointed in that it went on for 10 issues and i thought it, the end was going to be issue 10 but a third arc is coming out and i was kind of dis- i was just mostly just disappointed with it because the the basis of the entire story is really interesting husband and wife and their two kids venture out from a you know a terrible past that they have um to find a new hidden away village that they can start their life over um and what that mysterious past is comes back to haunt them within the first couple of issues the problem with that book is that the when the as soon as the past comes back to haunt them the entire premise of the book changes in a drastic way but also all of the writing gets much worse in that it just I don't know, it just felt really like poorly put together. And I'm kind of just bummed um, because I feel like there was a lot of potential for that to be a book that was like a really cool mix of fantasy and sci-fi, you know, yeah. the same way that Saga is a mix of sci-fi and fantasy, but the other way around. So yeah, I just, I'll just say that if you're, if you, I would like someone else to read it so that they could tell me whether or not my my assessment is right or wrong, because I feel like the potential is there. I just might've been in a bad mood reading it. I don't know. 
Um, the other book that I want to talk about really quick is Friend of the Devil. This is the second book in the Reckless, Reckless series that Ed Brubaker, Sean Phillips, and Jacob Phillips are doing. Uh, I'm a little late to this book because it came, came out a short while ago, but it doesn't really matter because these books are timeless because Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips and Jacob Phillips have a formula to create some of the best pulpy crime books that you could ever imagine in, in a way that somehow works for the era that they're writing for. So Reckless takes place in 1985 and the book itself feels very 1985. No one has cell phones. Like people are driving around in big, ridiculous cars. Um, the, the out, uh, the aftermath of like the insanity of the seventies is bleeding into the early eighties. Uh, and this whole book focuses on a cult um, sort of it focuses on, I guess it focuses on a missing woman. Reckless has to go find or decides that he wants to help this um, person who's looking for her sister. Um, and in doing so discovers a lot of very dark, crazy shit coming out of an old, old Hollywood world. The thing that I really like about this book is the, the way that Phillips, the Phillips brothers, I get brothers, Phillips, father and son, I guess they, they portray the eighties in such a dark orange brown red muted color style that it feels what my mind thinks of of like twilight california in in the summer um and that's the entire book uh and i just i just love the way that this book looks overall like i feel like we've seen a bunch of different original graphic knowledge from this team. Jacob Phillips's color work, like I said, really exemplifies the work. I feel like moving on from Betty Brightweiser to Jacob Phillips adds a totally different modern take on the color work in this, in all of the books that they've done. It's a lot splashier. It's a lot harsher um, in a way that really, really works and makes the work, the overall like look of these books, super, super um, strong. So yeah, highly recommend this book. It's, it's, just fantastic. Like the first Reckless book is fantastic. I think the second one is even better. Um, and I like the way that Brubaker is touching on a lot of the tropes of the time, late 70s, early 80s, drug cartels and cults from the 70s and like weird, like, I don't know, personality type people um, that you only get from this type of era. And I think we see it in a lot of other TV shows and we hear about it with like the 70s and 80s were a time of like serial killers and like just yeah. a different landscape of things. And I think Brubaker touches on a lot of this stuff in a way that's really interesting, but also finds a way to turn it all into independent non-police based crime which I, I really, really like. Like that's, it, he does this so well. I don't know what kind of formula he's mixing um, and if it's, it should be predictable or not, but I find it to be really, really interesting and compelling every single time. So yeah. This sounds super cool. I mean, I feel like if you like true crime, yeah. these books are for you and more so than the actual book series Criminal that they did, which to me felt like a soprano style, like super drama. These ones feel definitely more just like pulp crime. And I love that about it. Anyways, yeah. So adding let's, that to my TBR, please, please let me know. I I feel like everybody who likes crime stuff should read these books. But um, yeah. And, and Danny is pointing out in the in the chat saying, um, Pulp's really good as well. All my heroes are junkies is really good. Bad Weekend is very good. Yeah. Um, which I, if I'm not mistaken, Bad Weekend and there's another one called Cruel Summer is like part of the sequel criminal book series that uh. Phillips and Brubaker did. But anyways, um, I could talk about these books all day because I absolutely love them. Let's move on to talk about comic books that are coming out very soon. Comics are dropping on June 30th, 2021. What are you both excited for this week? Let's start with you, Kate Lamphere. Yeah, I'm excited for Buffy the Vampire Slayer Tea Time, issue one. Um, this is by Mirka Andolfo and Saya Um. And in this, in this new Buffy story... Giles is a vampire. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> Wait, Kate, he's a watcher. <laughs> I know. Based on the description, he is, in fact, hunting Buffy like a vampire would, except that he has all of the knowledge of being the watcher. Um, okay. <laughs> I I don't know anything about this other than the cover is, is um, very interesting. It's got, you know, our Giles, our sweet Giles with blood coming out of his, his fanged mouth. And it's called Tea Time. That's what I know. So I really haven't been following this new Buffy, like the the resurgence, the the kind of Elseworld stories that they've been putting out. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have to read this. I was I'm curious to understand like <laughs> how the Buffy line keeps going, and I guess I guess it's stories like this, right? Is this yeah. like a limited series? I'm guessing. 
I am assuming that it's just one arc. I don't, I really don't know. Okay. They okay. will never stop making Buffy comics as far as I can tell. <laughs> true, true. They're just there. It's like death taxes in Buffy comics. It's just like <laughs> there's there's never not going to be a market for them. Oh, it looks like this is actually a one shot. Oh, okay. Well, that's even better. Which I only makes have to buy even one more book. sense. All right. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Thanks for looking up more about this book I, than I did. <laughs> that's all right. Um, Kate, what about you? What are you excited for? I am excited for a book called Factory Summers by Guy Deleasley. It's an OGN uh, that's a translated comic. It's originally in French. And the translators are Helgi Dasher and Rob Aspinall. And I probably pronounced those wrong, but I I am trying. Um, So it is a graphic memoir about the author growing up in Quebec City. Um, When he was 16, he worked uh, summers at a pulp and paper factory and so this is a memoir chronicling like the daily rhythms of his life in the mill with these 12 hour shifts um, in a very obviously unpleasant place to work. But he had like a very outsider perspective because he was this you know, kind of boy amongst all these, you know, grizzled blue collar men and having his like first summer jobs where they were like, this is their life. And so it's kind of um, supposed to be kind of looking at like, highlighting the hypocrisies and the tensions of that life and the rampant sexism of this all-male workplace and kind of so not not looking at it with rose-colored glasses definitely this is more like a real examination of kind of what what that atmosphere was and also the relationship it creates with his dad where his dad is this um spending spent his whole life doing white-collar office jobs working nine to five instead of these like 12-hour shifts and it uh, adds to like he and his father at this age, you know, 16 is hard for anyone with their parents. Right. But it really mm-hmm. leads to them falling apart in a way that the author is trying to reconcile in the comic, whether or not this job really led to his dad's aloofness and unhappiness with him. And meanwhile, uh, in his off time, he's finding refuge in art. So it's also about his coming of age and like looking like discovering like art as a career and finding comics at the public library and thinking about like animation school and what people said to him about that and getting kind of into that life. So he's like in one world and looking at and aiming for another. And it it sounds really good. And this author uh, has done a lot of stuff that's gotten a lot of accolades like uh, hostage and then Jerusalem chronicles from the Holy city. Oh, wow. And, Koi Yang, A Journey in North Korea, all of, all of those ha- are like travelogues. I know, I know all of these yeah, books. Yeah, so shit. he <laughs> he won has won a bunch of awards for like international comics, and I have not read them, but like a bunch of them are on my to read list already from being mm-hmm. so renowned. And so this just looked really cool. It looked really cool in the sense that like I often aim to read comics that like have the kind of atmosphere of the season that we're in so like spooky comics in the fall obviously but mm-hmm. like factory summer is like it, it's it's summer right we're like in the dead of summer and so it looks just perfect right now i'm glad this is when they're releasing it so i'm hoping my library gets this though because uh the hardcover like the it's a hardcover ogn coming out so like the cheapest i see it is like 23 dollars, and that is right that is not right. for me at the moment <laughs> yeah i gotcha well, for before I get into my picks, I guess we had a bunch of people on the Discord chat who had some picks. Uh, Danny said that they were in, in, looking forward to Green Arrow 80th Anniversary 100-page Super Spectacular number one. Hugh said they were looking forward to Made in Korea number two. I've been meaning to check that out, so maybe this is the kick in the butt to get it. Uh, Brian said that he was into We Only Find Them When They're Dead number seven. And Nick said that he was into a book who I did not write down because i'm just an absolute jerk uh but you know i figured i should just call it out here while we're we're hanging out but yeah i'm uh i guess i'm gonna have to read all these books because i think half of these are on my list i i just am curious these 800 page super spectacular books i i those are like ten dollars each like you guys are insane picking those books up oh nick said that his is that texas blood number seven sorry nick thank you I'm curious, um, Mike, at, at this point, like how much of when you're saying like they're already on your list, how much of many of your comics, like what percent would you say are getting pulled on comiXology right now versus your local shop? Well, 
Here's the problem, Kate. I I don't buy physical single issues anymore. Okay. And I know that people listening are probably gasping and they're throwing their, their iPhones or Android devices out the window. Okay, but where are you going to put them? That's the but problem like, with physical. Exactly. The problem is like I ran out of space and I have a whole I have a whole philosophy about single issue comic books. Like I'm happy to buy them all digitally and stuff like that, but like I don't necessarily see the huge need to get the physical copy, especially when it's like four bucks i don't know i just it's just it's just a lot of space and there's a whole other thing to talk about so i'm buying all these books digitally because you know what digital is constantly ready and able fingers crossed that amazon never pulls the the rug out from underneath us and like takes away the license to the access to those but from everything that i've seen you know it's we should be fine uh oh and uh lovely ms long said that they're into the many deaths of layla star because that book is absolutely beautiful um anyways my pick for this week is parasomnia number one for those of you out there you're probably surprised that i'm picking a cullen bun book but yes i am i figured let's try it out andrea moody is doing the art and the synopsis really sold me after his son disappears a broken down man braves a nightmarish dreamscape in order to find him and battle the ruthless cult that seeks to rule the land of dreams uh, as the barrier between realities start to collapse you got, I just got to say, I love myself a good explore another realm. It's a dreamscape. It's reality. Yeah. Everything's mashing together. Love that kind of stuff. Legend of Zelda. Come on, like beautiful stuff. Moody's work on Fearscape is actually really, really solid. I wasn't a huge fan of Fearscape, but I really love the art in it. So to see them on another book, happy to try it out. And I will say, like I said, folks may be surprised about me picking up a Cullen Bunn book because in my opinion, Cullen Bunn is really hit or miss. I feel like Sometimes his books really kick ass, like Harrow County, really, really loved it. Other times I've read other stuff of his that I've just not been super swell on. So I'm, I'm willing to try this new one. This It sounds really good. I know he's been pumping out horror books left and right. Um, but for this one, it seems like the most interesting of some of the more recent stuff that he's put out. So I'm excited. But yeah, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about our Goodreads book of the month, Constantine the Hellblazer, volume one. So we'll be back in just a second. This week on I Read Comic Books, we are talking about our Goodreads Book of the Month as picked by the wonderful human beings over at our Goodreads group. We can't thank you all enough for your votes and for your nominations. This week, we are talking about Constantine the Hellblazer, Volume 1, going down from DC Comics. I'm going to read off the credits credits for this book, and I just want to apologize in advance. It's huge. Ming Doyle and James Tinney in the fourth on writing. Pencils by Riley Rossmo and Ming Doyle, Vanessa Del Rey, Chris Vision, Scott Kalachuk. Inks by Riley Rossmo, Vanessa Del Rey, and Chris Visions. Colors by Ivan Placencia and Lee Lowridge. And letters by Tom Napolitano. If you actually look at the uh, stuff, for the folks that are here hanging out with us in the Discord, I'm going to paste the entire credits thing. Um, It's huge. But uh, yeah, a lot of people worked on this book to make, for me, what I think is one of the more interesting modern stories about the the person character known as John Constantine. So I've read this book before. So rereading it was like a really fun time. Kate and Kate, what did you guys think of this book? I guess, and we should say full spoilers going in. Um, I don't know if you guys have like a summary or some initial thoughts about this book before we really dive into it. I want to say my initial thing looking at it, like when this was picked and I was on the episode, so I pulled it up for the first time and, you know, I got it from Hoopla, all praise. And I saw that long list of credits on the front. That is Mm -hmm. always a red flag to me. I hate when there's a million artists on a book. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I, I don't mind slash possibly enjoy depending on how they do it when there's like one artist for flashbacks and one artist for like current day. But when it's just like all over the place like this, I end up like there's certain sections of this book I loved because the art was gorgeous and then other sections that really threw me because it's not even just a different pencil style, like the color palette changes completely too. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. I'm very curious what you guys thought about that because for me, the experience of reading the book, like the actual story and writing was really solid, but the art was kind of up and down. So like my initial impression was very much that where you go and you look at a DC or Marvel cover and it has like the laundry list of people and you go, oh no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless it's like a uh, an anthology right. issue or like something like that. Yeah, it could be a little worrying. I mean, like f- for me, I guess like 
I don't know, Kate, before I dive into it, because I do have a summary, but like, Kate, what were your, your first thoughts? Uh, Lamphere. Yeah, I read the 1997 Hellblazer a few months ago, and I really didn't go for that one so <laughs> I my you were gonna say i read that instead i was like no you didn't that wasn't the assignment <laughs> <laughs> you did the wrong homework um no i was concerned that i wasn't gonna like this one because i really do mm. like the mm. character of constantine and the other things that he, that he's been in like um when he was played by keanu reeves in the movie or like the show <laughs> adaptation or he was he even had like a short cameo in in the first sandman volume i think by neil gaiman and yeah. i liked him everywhere mm-hmm. i've seen him except his own story in 1997 <laughs> um so my original impression of of this book the correct book the i did the the right homework um <laughs> is that it was much better <laughs> okay okay that's good to hear uh i feel like some folks in the chat would have been very upset to hear otherwise um i guess like for me you know i'll, I'll do like a quick summary here for folks at home john constantine is a prolific magic user in the dark arts and is regularly haunted by the literal ghosts of his past. It's kind of the crux and the premise of the story. One of his old buddies warns him of a quote, ghost killer. John's inability to believe the ghost results in his friend quote, dying again, setting John on a path back to his home country of England to rediscover his past in his early days of magic. In his journey to find out the source of this ghost killer, John retraces his history, discover that the ghost killer is a fragment of the soul of a woman named Veronica Delacruz from his past, who he emotionally destroyed when he chose magic over her her and the regular world yeah okay, this is a really hold on. dark alternate story. summary <laughs> alternate summary okay um <laughs> dresden files but there's no wizards and fantasy creatures instead everything's a demon and <laughs> yeah all magic is occult magic but otherwise sure. dresden files 100 sure. percent if you've read the if you've read the prose series the dresden files you might click with this book a little bit i, I definitely can see that yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think the the thing I love about this book ultimately is like how no bullshit it they the writing team is about making John an absolute asshole. Like the entire book, he is a jerk, but he's like a jerk that you don't hate. You just kind of go, John, you're kind of a dick. Like at, at every turn, he ha- he takes the opportunity to be kind of an asshole, right? Like especially in like the last issue, which I think is my favorite of the of the arc. Um, but oh, even still, like yeah. him just talking to. Georgie, uh, excuse me, yeah, Georgie, the the woman that he goes to see in England, or talking to Gary, his ghost friend, like he's just a jerk to to pretty much everybody, even people that he cares about, and it's clear that he cares about them, um, in some capacity, even when he's backstabbing them or you know Very basically much being using and manipulating, selfish. yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, the, the story of this book is is really interesting because I feel like it dives into a side of John Constantine that I feel like you don't normally see in other Constantine stories, usually he's just there and he's like, I'm doing my magic thing. Fuck you. And then other people are like, you can't say fuck you. This is a DC comic book. John and he just <laughs> gives you the finger and he goes on about his business. Whereas this, we actually get to see John being this jerk falling apart because he understands the problems that he's caused for others, but he refuses to admit it to himself. Um, instead, he just takes it, takes it out on himself with alcohol and, you know, being just incredibly immature and irrational about a lot of stuff. Yeah. He like does the narcissist thing where instead of like owning it and making amends, what he does is uh, agree that he hurt all of them but then makes it all about him and his crises of like so i'm going to drown my my sorrows because i'm you know his focus is still on him and self-pitying himself versus like actually doing anything differently making any changes in his life or doing you know anything to possible to uh help anyone that he has harmed Mm -hmm. so it's Mm -hmm. like he accepts it but in a way that's very like still all about him which i thought was very uh, on brand and insightful for the authors to do but the yeah for me it took me through the first like 25 percent of the book to actually get into it like we, totally. we start out with him fucking a demon and i'm like mm, i don't know if this is gonna be for me lads um <laughs> yeah. yeah and then then we get into more of the like mystery and him solving what's going on and all the like backstory and stuff like that and then i got into it and it did feel much more like Constantine than some of the other recent Constantine series I've read or like shows where Mm -hmm. it it does get back to kind of the character. I remember from that original book that Kate was talking about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
where he he's truly not a hero he is not a good person and like yes he's helping clean the streets of these demons but in a way that is sacrificing many people i really like the parts where he's like made friends with certain demons was like renting to them or like helping to be like you have to follow the rules if you're gonna be in this plane god damn it steve we've (laughs) talked about this i know that bit is is so perfect so good yeah i i really you know i think the the journey that we go on with john discovering like his past where he really starts to change from just being someone who tampers with magic to someone who spends every waking moment of his life integrating like and just in learning more about magic, but not going about the same way as someone like Georgie um, or Georgiana, who is the actual professional, very good at magic, like way better than John. But John refuses to admit it until he absolutely has to. I, I like seeing that that there is a way to be as powerful, if not more than John Constantine in a way that allows you to still be a person. Yeah. Right. Like Georgiana is the perfect example of a character who like followed all of the right paths in order to become a super powerful magician but isn't broken by the world of magic well, hasn't had to spend her whole life yeah. exactly and isn't selling her soul constantly just to get a leg up i don't well, know he I, even I thought... admits that she's she's even more powerful and better exactly. than him that like he talks the game of like oh i don't need the book learning you know like all that stuff mm-hmm. like he's so like this rebel without a cause and then uh it turns out the when he really when when push comes to shove, he goes to the library and does the mm-hmm. studying that he should have done years ago. And yeah, I really like that aspect too. And I really like the kind of colliding with the past that comes about because of that. Um, mm-hmm. I, that was where I really got into the story. Definitely. Did you guys like it right from the start or did it take a while to wind up for you too? I think it took a little while. Yeah, I I was actually going to say that the art... Um, it's it's kind of got this sketchy look to it, and I think that the the artist changes a few times. And mm-hmm. when I first started the book, similar to the story, I wasn't sure about it. Um, it it did take me some time to get into it. Once I got into it, I really liked it, which is again okay. true to the art and the story. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Well, it's it's really funny because my my thoughts and my memories about reading this book when it was coming out was I remember loving the entire run. But I think the reason why I love the entire run is because this first arc, while it is kind of self-contained like arc in a traditional sense for a comic, the book really starts to kick it up into the next final bit of the story that becomes the most memorable and most exciting part of the story in issue six that carries through to the end of the run. Um, And while this first arc is independent it is still very crucial to that you know that Mm -hmm. that ending in issue six where the the little gargoyles like hey man the city of new york wants something out of you and i don't really know what that means but you're important and that's like all of the stuff that kind of starts to cascade and if you start to add up all the pieces of things that happen when john is in new york um before he goes to england and as soon as he comes back it all becomes to me becomes really really interesting i wish that we could have had the chance to read this whole run because i think it's like 13 issues and it really tells a super well cohesive or super solid cohesive story um from beginning to end and this ghost killer arc um is just a piece of that bigger story so yeah i i I love the foundation that this book sets in that like john has a reason he can't go back to England. We don't really know what that is. Why does it matter when he decides to go back and everyone's kind of surprised um, because it all plays into the bigger story. But um, just... That's interesting. So the this volume and then the second volume, which is the one you're talking about, are both on sale right now on Comixology for their like mm-hmm. pride sale for the next like day or so. I don't mm-hmm. actually know when it ends. But to get both of them, let's see, that'd be $10 for both. Oh, shit. I I might do that. Well, I know the second volume's also on Hoopla, so I'll do that. Right. But the Hoopla's reading experience is not as smooth as Comixology. I'll say that. <laughs> that's that's true. But the, yeah, no, that that's cool. Okay, I might actually finish this then. I don't know that I'll do it right away. Maybe I'll wait for the right season, as it were. I can't believe you folks voted for this in <laughs> summer. Monsters. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, what's interesting about this book is, like you said, it's in the Pride sale. And I think that, you know, I remember James Tinian wrote that when he started writing this book, he tweeted something along the lungs of, finally, I get to write a character that is similar to me in a yeah. way. Because James Tinian is bisexual. And I think the way that the they portray constantine as kind of just like being interested in men and women in like a in the same sleazy way (laughs) 
I don't know how else to describe it, is I thought pretty interesting for a for a comic book character because I can't think of another book where that happens. And even you could even say like there's a question of like is does a demon have a gender, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but like they, the portrayal of like John spending time in the present, being very interested in the guy that owns the um, the food shop that he goes. Oh yeah, to in New I York. shipped it instantly. Yeah, right. do and it, the, do it. The flashback where he is, you know, madly like insanely in love, the same way that like Sid and Nancy were in love with each other from the Sex Pistols. You know, like it's it's very wild to see like this character being like he was really into women. Now he's really into men, but it's not, it's like a very fluid thing. I thought was a pretty positive portrayal. Yeah, Yeah. he is. He is. I just think it's a pretty positive portrayal of someone who is bisexual canonically in the, in the comics compared to the whole like debacle of Harley Quinn and Ivy where like, it just had to be fought for years and years and years. So I don't know. I don't know if if you guys read into that any further than that, but I just thought that was like looking at this book. I thought that was like a pretty positive portrayal of a character who was bisexual in comics. Yeah, I agree. I'm also curious if the uh, relationship, quote unquote, with Oliver continues into volumes two and three. It better. I think it must because he comes out at the like the end of the last issue, like trying to get into and like John's like letting him into his apartment with all the demons that are in there. Because like it makes sense that he'd be hesitant to like if he actually likes someone, he'd want to keep them away from him because he Mm -hmm. literally does destroy everyone he's close to his lives. So, like, yeah. why would you let this normie into your life? Um, <laughs> so I hope that the next volume goes more into that because that could be a really interesting story of, like, trying to get close to someone without uh, hurting them by bringing them into that world. And especially if that, like, makes them a target, which, of course, DC loves to do, right? That's, like, DC's whole jam is putting the the normie love interest in peril to be the, you know, mm-hmm. plot device. but. That's cool. I might actually, so someone in the chat said that it is actually three volumes. So I'll have to look and see if those yeah. are all available. I think the only one and two were as were what was showing up on Hoopla. Yeah. I don't know that I was into this enough to buy it just because of the art. And I'm really curious how <gasps> the art worked for you guys with switching artists all over the place. I have a lot of thoughts, but I've been talking a lot. So Kate Lamphere, I want to hear your thoughts on this. I honestly didn't notice. Um, I know that there are multiple artists, but I guess when I first started reading the book, I was like, oh, this has that that kind of sketchy look to it. I don't know about that. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And then I mm-hmm. like just after a couple of pages, I got used to it and I accepted it. And like, that's just the style of in this book. And I guess that thinking continued through the vo- whole volume. So then when the art changed to a different sketchy style, I was just like, cool, this is volume two. <laughs> Well, and not mm-hmm. all of them were sketchy, though. Like, there were some that were, like, very different styles, like, much more watercolory and smooth. Yeah, I mean, it, I think that... So, Riley Rossimo has a very distinct style, right? And if you look at any of the books that he's done, you know, since then and before this, like, he he worked originally on... Shit, he did that book with Nick Spencer that was really wild and out there that I can't think of. Um, but he also has done books recently, like Martian Manhunter. He's on the Harley Quinn book right now. Um, his art style is very specific and very stylistic and i think that are you talking about bedlam bedlam thank you yeah that was a really good one thank you nick and danny as well in the chat his art is very specific in like its sketchiness in a lot of ways and i think that ming doyle and vanessa del rey chris visions when they were working on the scott kalachuk as well um they were trying to emulate and make sure that it had like the same feel even though they're all different artists yeah and i think a lot of that also probably has to do with the inking because rosmo did inking on other people's art and vanessa del rey did inking and i know that if you've seen other work that del rey has done such as like sleepless she has the capability to do that mm-hmm. uh, i'm not enough i'm not familiar enough with chris visions or scott kalachuk to speak to that to them but i think the goal of that was for even in the flashbacks to kind of have uh, that same feel throughout that kind of sketchy feel throughout the whole book um even, even though rosmo wasn't on every single book because i think when this book was pitched it was like riley rosmo ming doyle james tinian mm-hmm. working on this book and then of course he drops off instantly drops yeah <laughs> so classic um, dc exactly so yeah i think that that's that my guess is that's what they were going for i did find it a little jarring from two to three but yeah. ultimately i got used to it by the time you know rosmo came back yeah, I think I noticed that a lot, especially like the, the color, the color palette was also changing. I don't know that I would have noticed quite as much if not for that. Um, what did you guys think overall of the color palette? And like, was there one that you liked better than the others? I mean, I I didn't, I, I liked the flashback color palette that they used. The more like neons it, and stuff. 
exactly because it was really brighter. bright yeah i do want to say nick is nick is calling me out in the chat is vanessa del duca uh who is on sleepless not del rey that's my bad um but yeah i really like the flashback color palette i thought that was like it was nice to see like the 80s <laughs> portrayed yeah. like that <laughs> Yeah, I agree. There was also this part of the story where Constantine is moving through the city and there's some narration in the story about how he's kind of moving into like this more magical part of the city where where the something about like the reality is thinner here or something. Yeah, the thin places. Yeah, and the art shifts a little bit or maybe it was just because the artist changed in the issue. I wasn't paying that close of attention. No, it does. And they also start having the like panels themselves start being kind of off kilter where they're not Mm -hmm. like the boxes aren't straight. I really like that aspect. I like that the part you're talking about, the color palette becomes much more like oranges and browns and like the darker, the darker shades. And I like that a lot more for like the vibe I was expecting and wanting from a Hellblazer comic of like Mm -hmm. that, halloweeny kind of feel um and i totally get why they did the brighter stuff for the flashbacks and i like that in the flashbacks but like when you start the book it is a very bright color palette for mm-hmm. w- present day in, in hellblazer and that definitely threw me at first and i i think well i get why they did it because if you go for the overall arc it becomes the present day is getting darker and darker and more and more off kilter and so that's like following, you know, his descent into becoming in a darker and darker place as he figures out like, oh, shit, my ex that I abandoned turned into a demon because of me. <laughs> and like, oh, my best friend that died is now actually gone instead of being my ghost bud and like stuff like that. So it like it works in that sense. Um, but I it that was the prep issue for me was like in that first 25 percent where i was just like oh this doesn't fit and then by the end it was like oh this okay this is going okay but i wish they had stuck with rosmo for the art for the whole thing i know they can't and that's like why they do this but it would have been i think a better book yeah i mean i think the, the, the to go back to your point about like the color palette getting super dark i think mm-hmm. that was also intentional so that when the demon showed up with the bright red like yeah yeah totally. tentacle things it was super stark it, I, I actually really like that i love like that color palette at the back i just love that for all of these kinds of comics like it makes it so more immersive for me in the sense of like getting in the right like i don't want to say zone but you know that like really feeling like you're in the creepy place with them kind of thing like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that really worked for me yeah absolutely yeah i mean like this this book is really interesting because i think that there's like i feel like this is a side of john constantine you don't normally see in a lot of books i feel like when flashbacks happen they're flashbacks that are like about john still being john right he's he he's not yeah, like before he was like i when he was young and idealistic and stuff exactly exactly and like the the thing that really drives me insane about this book in some ways in like a good way is john constantine not giving a shit about people but constantly wanting to save the world like yeah. he feels he puts all of this stuff on his shoulders it's right it's narcissism it's he needs to be the hero and it's at the expense of other people versus the like true good-hearted version of heroes that are like they're saving the world because they care about other people he's so clearly just obsessed with getting power and using mm-hmm. that power where like she's like you have to help me you have to fend those stuff and he's like no i'm gonna keep pursuing this no matter what and if that mm-hmm. means you can't be a part of that then fine but like he does not he so clearly does not care about the people. What he cares about is getting the magic and the power and then using it and being that, you know, right. which I thought was really insightful. I like that he's back to being like the the Constantine character that I originally encountered in the older books versus the like quippy sort of guy that he is in some DC books. Um, oh, like sure. he's still quippy, but he's much more like is anti-hero and is like, uh, I don't know how to describe it really, but he's not just the the Joker, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not he's not the Joker so much as he's the jokester. I mean, we got to be okay, specific here. When we're talking yes, about DC I didn't comics. mean Joker like that, Michael. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I don't know, Kate. What, what any any final thoughts? I guess from you, Kate Lamphere, on on this book. I feel like we we've kind of hammered through a lot of this stuff. I don't know if you had any any last minute thoughts here. I mostly just want to keep reading this story. Um, volume okay. Kate said that volume two is on Hoopla. I think I plan to read that, and we'll see uh, if I've got to buy volume three or not. But <laughs> mm-hmm. I really I want more. Uh, I want more Oliver, and I want to see. Um, John Grow, maybe we'll get uh, a little bit more empathy from him. They better not hurt Oliver. If they hurt Oliver, I <sighs> all right. Well, I don't know, guys. <laughs> if you should keep reading this book, uh, <laughs> we've already got a pattern in Volume yeah, One about how yeah, John yeah. treats his significant others. I mean, that being said, I think that the the, the, the bits with Oliver is really interesting that he keeps showing up and yeah. like John keeps saying is is the world is magic trying to show me something is, the, is New York trying to tell me something oh yeah I think that's really funny uh yeah the idea that the city kind of has its own soul with this uh thin magic spaces and things like that that's a really interesting idea I've seen a few times mm-hmm. in more recent media I like it yeah. Goodreads definitely thinks this series is only two volumes where are you seeing that it's three well, we can. I mean, we can dive into the specifics of the of the future volumes. I guess after the show. Yeah. But yeah, I don't Maybe know. Maybe they changed the name of the run or something. DC loves to do that. But in terms of Could Constantine be. colon the Hellblazer, there's only volume one and two for this mm. Ming Doyle series. Okay, and well, the second one does issues six through twelve. Oh, there we go. All right. I guess I was thinking maybe five issues per volume or something. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, mm. that's good news. All yeah, of it. Yeah, because it's on, on Hoopla. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know i think the my, my my last thought about this i mean kate i guess maybe we'll you know kate scotchless i don't know if you had any final thoughts because i've just got one last bit that i want to say but i'll wait i'll wait till after you no i like kate i'm gonna check out volume two i just to like finish out the thing I, and same thing we talk about of where where i'm curious how it goes and mm-hmm. i hope that there's slightly more consistent art on the second one but i kind of doubt it because it's dc and uh, I probably will also wait until fall to read it. Like I was talking about, I need the spookies in right. September, October. Yeah. Um, speaking until of then, that, I'll be reading about summer camp. Okay. And right. factory summer jobs. <laughs> and I mean, cause speaking of the, the whole spooky, scary stuff for, for the fall, I think this next arc basically springboards off of issue six, which is kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about is just to, I, I know I, I mentioned it at the, at the start of the, the second half here, but the the issue six where John is just going around and saving people in little one off goofy little stories where he's getting emails from people and uh, you know going off and saving mm-hmm. the I love that part. Know. that was the best part of the whole book exactly and I think that something happened where like the shift of this book took the like premise of the first arc and decided okay now John's just gonna be like Ghostbusters for New York yep. but it's Demon Busters I guess that becomes like it's a reoccurring just thing files it's just it's Dresden files but, but it's all like, demons <laughs> so it's so good though it's so yeah. fantastic and i think that you know really uh ming doyle and james tinian do a fantastic job of just capturing the wildness and the funniness mm-hmm. and if you've read other james tinian work you kind of know one the dude's from new york and he loves talking about new york and loves writing about new york and a lot of his books where he has the potential mm-hmm. to do so so with john constantine living in new york he gets to just as someone who lived in new york for six years i get some of these jokes in that like you know things are happening in different parts of the city where yeah. you probably wouldn't expect them to happen so it's it's really fun to see him like really stretch and have fun with the character and also with the city of new york and basing things around like the city has something about you magic is starting to become thinner and all this other stuff yeah all the like little hidden places and corners and streets and alleys of mm-hmm. new york like it it has a cool vibe and that it like is more believable than if they're like listen, we've been to Grand Rapids and there's some sketchy corners where demons are. And you're like, "Mm, I don't know. There's only four alleys in Grand Rapids. four churches on that street, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I will say like, if you you do decide to keep reading, take that issue six as kind of a primer as to what to expect for the rest of the series. So, okay. Yeah. Definitely gonna finish it then. Definitely finish it. Like I said, I think the second half of this, this story really is what makes me have such a lot of really happy memories about this series so like yeah if you like that i think you're gonna really love the second half of this book 
but yeah i think that that pretty much covers any everything um kate and kate i thank you both for coming on the show with me thank to everyone listening live remember you can always follow us all on twitter you can follow kate at kl fear you can follow me at mike rappin and you can follow the show at ircb podcast on twitter and instagram this episode first aired on Patreon with Kate and Kate doing Kate things. Uh, it is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, and more. You can join now at patreon.com backslash IRCB podcast. Also, if you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Uh, we think we deserve five stars, but uh, you, you decide what you think. On Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us spread the word about IRCB. Join the IRCB Discord community to chat comics and more and listen to our episodes live as we record at ircb.com slash discord. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends or your local comic shop about our show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. We can't thank them enough. Xander is the cool guy who makes us sound great every week. And we love him for that. Absolutely love him. I want to say thanks again to Kate and Kate for being on the episode. Thanks to everyone who listened live. There were so many of you today. We thank you so much. And until next time, comics are good. And so are you.